Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, February 27, 2022. It focuses on God's promise to make all things right in the end. The message to all who will listen is trusting in God rather than seeking revenge is the best way to deal with our enemies. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you that you are with us and you care about us and uh, your word is going to accomplish in us everything that you desire. Thank you for your word. I thank you that you didn't hide, that you gave us your word as a revelation so we could understand who you are and could worship you and honor you and live for you and that you showed us the way to salvation. And God, I pray that you would do everything that you want to do today. And we trust you for that. Amen. So more than once in my 30 plus years of ministry, I have sat with couples in courtrooms, observing and praying while they fought to get their kids out of state custody. At least once, maybe twice, my friends showed up at the right place at the right time, only to find out that without notifying them, they canceled the hearing. That wasted driving time and absence from work was costly for these folks whose only desire was to bring their kids home. And in each and every case I was involved in, after months of jumping through multiple hoops, the day came when the judge in charge of their case found evidence enough that the adults involved were ready to be parents again and signed off on a return to normal life. Hugs and tears followed as the family was reunited. Many of you, I'm guessing, have been in a situation or two during your lifetime where you've been accused of wrongdoing and you had to wait for vindication. How eager were you to set the record straight? Uh, It's hard to be patient when you know that you're right. You feel compelled to defend yourself, to restore your honor, to repair your reputation. You sometimes make the rounds in your circles of friends to make sure that you know that those other guys, they're jerks. Have you ever badmouthed a person who's caused you pain? Have you ever sought vengeance, gossiped, stretched the truth to make yourself look better than you actually are? Held a grudge? I'm not making you raise your hands, but yeah. The temptation is always there to take things into your own hands, to return tit for tat, to to do to others before they do to you. That's not what the scripture says, but that's our temptation, right? None of these things are God's ways. They are enticing, they excite the flesh, but they are not God's ways. I'm certain that I have more than once handled difficulties poorly. Last time we were together, I decided to skip a bit of the narrative art given to us in 1 Samuel. I skipped from Samuel's anointing of David as king in chapter 16 to Jesse's son's conflict with Goliath the Philistine giant in chapter 17. So if you will allow it, and even if you won't, I'm going to take us back a step and look at an event that took place after God chose David and the revelation of 
David's strong faith in chapter 17. So without giving too much away, Saul, after God removes his blessing from the man, goes bonkers. Those closest to him are unsure what to do. He's throwing fits. And the course of action they take creates an interesting twist in our from bad king to good king story. So let's hear what Samuel records for God's people in 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 23. Again, that's 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 23. 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 23 says this. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let your Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Plot twist. God puts both anointed kings in the same room. The one with the Spirit is sent by God to help the one from whom the Spirit has departed. The Spirit-filled kid plays music, and the spiritually addled elder is calmed. I started thinking about this. Does God still calm those who are far from him through the words or actions of his Spirit-filled children? Surely he does. I wonder how often a scenario similar to the one that we've read about plays out in our lives without us even taking notice. Maybe we need to pay more attention to what God is up to when we interact with those around us. We ought to take special note of the times when those who lack peace are stilled by the calm God brings to them through our words and our actions. We're ready to fast forward now. Since we've already talked last week about David's bravery before the Philistine giant, we're ready to see what happens at the beginning of chapter 18. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 9. I'll give you a second to find that. What we're about to read follows immediately on the heels of David's victory over Goliath and Israel's subsequent beatdown of their enemies. Hear now what Samuel included in the Saul and David story in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 9. What happens here is important, so pay attention to what Saul does and what David does. Let's read 1 Samuel 18, 1-9. After David had finished talking with Saul, again, this is right after Goliath. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as his self. From that day... Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. 
Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. You would think that Saul would be pleased with David's expertise and his dominance on the battlefield. The young man's exploits are keeping Saul's throne secure and God's people happily protected. David's service, in reality, is a boon to Israel. Saul does not see good in what the shepherd boy does. Envy blinds him. He cannot celebrate this guy's success because in his mind it dims the spotlight that's supposed to be shining on him. He's the king for crying out loud. Why is not everybody paying attention to me? I'm the king. You can hear him kind of pouting there. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the one praised. I'm supposed to be exalted. Instead of being thankful that there's a strong warrior whom God has sent to help Israel, Saul's attitude toward David is sour. He intuitively discerns the coming shift in power and warily eyes his rival. There is no trust in God left in Saul's soul, only a fleshly determination to hang on to power for as long as he can. Do you react like Saul when someone takes the eyes of the crowd off of you? Do you sulk when another does well? Do you secretly wish the downfall of the person who is receiving more attention than you? These kinds of responses are the responses of the ungodly, those who are not living by the Spirit. They are sure signs that pride is taking over your heart and mind. Be warned, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18. The man who wrote Proverbs 16, 18, the wisest man who would ever live, had not yet drawn his first breath when Saul began watching David carefully. Solomon, David's son, Israel's third king, a prolific writer of Proverbs, would not be born for many years. Even so, you can see the wisdom of this proverb and see the truth in it lived out as you watch Saul let jealousy take him down a very dark and winding path. If you are angry when your brother succeeds, watch out. If you, out of distrust, start keeping a close eye on a sister whom God is blessing, be warned. Saul's story is a cautionary tale for us. As we continue on in it, you're going to see how hard a proud man can fall. Without even moving on, we can see the slide toward insanity start. Pick up with me right where we stopped in chapter 18. This is what verses 11 and 12 give us. Again, that's 1 Samuel 18, I'm sorry, 10 and 11. This is what verses 10 and 11 say. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Same as back in chapter 16, right? He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. 
Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. A little aside here. Why did he stick around after the first time? Anyway, how insecure do you have to be in your position to throw a spear at somebody? Pretty insecure, right? That's far over the top crazy. But let's not miss what the text says. Samuel wants us to know that this is not just an everyday garden variety tantrum that Saul is throwing. His actions are prompted, as they were earlier, by an evil spirit. Maybe you don't think about demonic activity very often. I sometimes forget to consider the devil's work when dealing with difficulties. I know that God's work puts this kind of thing out there, but I go to other possible causes of people's actions first, and maybe I shouldn't. I wonder if more of what people do to stir up trouble, if more of the harm that they do to us and those we love is the work of our enemy working through them and in them. If it is, and that seems likely, we would do well to take to the battlefield on our knees praying rather than with our fingers on a keyboard. Maligning someone's character is easy and ungodly. Gossip is easy and sinful. Praying for those who've done you wrong? Hear what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 to 48. I'll give you a second to find that. Keep your finger in 1 Samuel, because we're coming back there. Matthew 5, 43 to 48, you might recognize that this is one of the chapters of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is laying out what life in the kingdom will be like, what life for those who are living by the Spirit is going to be like. And so Matthew 5, 43 to 48 says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not biblical, but that's what people said, okay? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, you're called to pray when somebody's against you. Let that sink in. You are called to pray for your enemies, to love those who persecute you. Do not let the devils cause you to react in evil ways when God's ways are so much better. Let God's Spirit in you guide your actions and reactions when the going gets rough. How does David react to Saul's spear-throwing fit? He dodges the thrust of his rival while continuing to do what God's given him to do. Remember when this liar-playing gig started? David's playing would soothe Saul. David's skills, his gifts brought peace. I realize there may come a time when it is completely unsafe to be around a person, and that time's coming for David with Saul. It might be after a single incident with some, but with others, a bit of patience is in order. Waiting to cut ties could lead to peace, to reconciliation, to freedom from the grip of the enemy. It might bring about friendship. 
spiritual battle first. Shouldn't that be our initial tack as followers of Jesus to let the Holy Spirit guide us rather than run away at the first sight of trouble? Of course, as a believer, the Holy Spirit should be our guide in every situation. So turn to him and trust in him when things are not as you wish. Let him be your guide rather than your flesh. Now, we're not going to read the rest of chapter 18 because I want to have time for a couple of major incidences in this Saul versus David saga. That said, I do want to read two more verses before we move on. The verses are 1 Samuel 18, 28, and 29. They follow on the heels of a brief description of David's becoming Saul's son-in-law. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? He marries Michael, daughter of Saul, and listen to what Samuel records in 1 Samuel 18, 28, and 29. Again, 1 Samuel 18, 28, and 29. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Saul is losing everything to David. His popularity, his son who loves David like a brother, we read about that earlier, his daughter who's married to the man and in love. These things are what the evil spirit is using to drive a wedge between Saul and the man who is going to reign over Israel next. All right, we're going to skip a whole bunch of the story now and take a look at part of chapter 24. We're going to look at the first seven verses to start with. While you're flipping pages or finding it on your app, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of what happens in the chapters that we're leaping over. So I'm just going to give you brief coverage of each of these chapters. Chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David again. He throws a spear at Israel's future king, and this time David leaves. He skips down. Michael, Saul's daughter, helps him escape. It's kind of funny throwing an idol in a bed and covering it up. I, it, you'll have to read the story. Chapter 20, David and Jonathan pledge allegiance to one another, and Jonathan sends David away because he knows that Saul is angry enough to kill David. Chapter 21, David and a small band of men pass through Nob, where a priest named Ahimelech gives them some of the blessed bread from before the Lord to sustain them. From Nob, David heads to Philistine territory, where he is not well received. I mean, he's killed a lot of Philistines. And so how does he escape death? He starts drooling and acting like he's crazy. It's a great story. Okay, there's a lot of stuff here. Okay, uh, chapter 22, David takes refuge in a cave and his family comes to him. A mass of misfits and malcontents decides that he's worth following also. And suddenly David has a small army, about 400 men. And as a little post note here, the priest of Nob, Ahimelech, Saul finds out what he did and he kills him for helping David. That's how far Saul's gone. Chapter 23, David rescues a city from the Philistines. Evidently, he's given up drooling and making like a madman has turned on them again. There's a chase scene in this chapter. Saul chases David around a mountain but does not catch him. Around and around and around they go. A Philistine raid demands the faltering king's attention, and so he leaves David alone. And now we're ready for chapter 24. That was quick, I know. It's in this chapter that David shows greater patience than most of us would. He's in a tough place and is offered an out. So let's see how he responds to this opportunity. The first section that we're going to read is verses 1 through 7. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 7. 
After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. I don't know exactly how long David's been on the run, but it's been more than a couple of days. He's been hiding out in lonely places month after month after month. Saul's been chasing him this way and that way. There have been lots of close calls. This is not the life that David wants for himself, and it's certainly not the way the 400 guys with him want to live. Then along comes this chance to end the running. Saul steps into the cave to, of all things, go to the bathroom, and his chosen outhouse happens to be the same cave where David is hiding out. He and his men are deep in the shadows watching their enemy use the squatty potty. <laughs> David's men are absolutely sure that this is an occasion for rejoicing. No one guards the man who's caused them so much difficulty. He's vulnerable. They're sure that David can end Saul's life with little risk and take the throne. They watch as David creeps up behind his arch nemesis, blade in hand. They think that their wandering days are over. And then their leader does something they did not anticipate. He cuts off a corner of the king's robe and creeps back to them. What in the world? Opportunity blown. David's men are beside themselves with consternation. He has to calm them down. And, but David is conscience stricken. Even the act of cutting off a piece of Saul's robe while he was indisposed bothers him. He rebukes his bloodthirsty men. Listen to his words again there in verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Only those who daily depend on the Spirit for guidance can wait for God to straighten things out. David shows us that. The spirit had departed from Saul. He had come upon David. David's actions are those we ought to emulate. I want you to hear David's words to Saul immediately after the bathroom break in the cave incident. He calls out to Saul. We're in uh, 1 Samuel 24, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 15 now. We're right where we left off. Again, 1 Samuel 24, 8 to 15. This is what happens. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. 
See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. God will set things straight. David knows that he knows that he knows that he knows that he knows that this is true. It's why he can leave alive a man who wants to harm him, a man who would not have held back had their roles been switched. We're not going to read it, but just two chapters later in chapter 26, David once again spares Saul's life while his men urge a quick dispatch of the man. Instead, David steals into the enemy's camp and slips away with the king's spear and water judge and then calls out the king's bodyguard for being so lax in his attention to his duties. David will not rush things. He knows he's been anointed to take on Israel's leadership after Saul is gone. He trusts God will be with him until Saul passes. He knows the time will come when he will take the throne. In the meantime, he trusts God to vindicate him. Have you been hurt by somebody before? Maybe even somebody in the church? Oh, that happens once in a while. Maybe a sister spoke ill of you behind your back. Maybe a brother rebuked you for something you didn't do. Maybe a friend spoke publicly about something that you had shared in confidence. How have you reacted? Was your response anything like David's? Did you display patience even when your reputation took a hit? The natural thing to do when we're hurt is to hurt. The flesh craves vengeance. Maybe you've been thinking about a person who wronged you as I've been speaking about David's patient response to Saul's dogged pursuit. You heard me urge forbearance in your heart. He's just a little rebellious against what God wants. Yeah, but look at what they did. Why should I let this person off the hook? Why shouldn't I seek to do them wrong? Paul answers that question in Romans chapter 12. Verse 19. Again, this is Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God will right every single wrong that's ever been done against you. What others have done to harm you, it'll be dealt with. The harm that you've done will also come to light. You want grace for your sins, don't you? God's way is to give grace to others when they sin against you. Is there some situation that you need to trust God with? Have you been spending far too much time and energy on hating another and wishing ill upon them? Wait for vindication. Trust God to do what's best. He will clean up the scene without making things worse. You, on the other hand, will just destroy things. Sin will do that. 
In the end, Saul died in battle, and David took the throne without the guilt of bloodshed. After waiting, he was vindicated. He took the throne promised to him and ruled for a good long time. And from his line came our Savior, Jesus. God will take care of things for you. I urge you to take your anger and your hurts and your disappointment in others and your frustrations with that friend to him as we close the service. Let the Spirit speak to you. Let him bring peace to your soul as you wait upon God.
God, help us to wait on you, to trust you for all things. For fullness and for guidance and for strength and for renewal and for vindication. God, help us to follow your spirit in all these things. Help us to trust you to take care of those things that we think we have to take care of ourselves. We trust you to make all things right in your time. And know that your time will be much better than ours. God, we pray for our enemies today. We pray that you would bring them to you. So even as we pray for Ukraine and the people there, we pray for the people of Russia. We pray, God, that their evil intent would be stopped. We pray that your name would be exalted. We pray for your peace. Not only in our own situations, but in situations we can't even imagine. We thank you for your church in Ukraine and in Russia, and we pray, God, that they would remain faithful to you. And that people would come to know Christ through this situation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.